over the last number of years, when Americans were polled and they were asked why they weren't working out, their number one excuse was this, well, I'm just too busy. And this makes sense, right? Because I think you probably get this. I know I definitely get this because it always seems like there's more things to do than we have time for. I mean, after all, what are we going to do? Am I going to choose working out over the projects around my house? Am I going to choose working out over my family? Am I going to choose working out over getting that promotion at work? Am I going to choose working out over, over getting that sleep that I so desperately need? You see, we always have more things to do than we have time for. That was until last year, because we went through something quite astounding as a country, didn't we? We went into a full lockdown, and all of a sudden, we had time, maybe for the first time in our entire lives, right? There was nothing else to do. So we were out of excuses, right? But there was a problem. All the gyms got closed too, but we're resourceful, so what did we do? Right? We went to the stores, we went online, and we bought all sorts of, of home exercise equipment to fit inside our house until all the shelves in every store, you probably saw this, they were completely bare of exercise equipment because everyone was dedicated. Now they had time, and now they were going to get in shape. And guess what happens? I mean, just look around the room. Every one of you is perfectly chiseled. You are a perfect physical specimen because now you finally had time. Right now we finally had time and we all got in the best shape of our entire lives. We look like we were still 18 years old. Now, of course, that's not true, is it? Because even though we had time, we still didn't get physically fit because we realized that when our excuse went away, well, it was just that, right? It was just an excuse because once we finally had that time, we still didn't capitalize on that time. And I think looking back, we probably all realized we probably missed out on a very special opportunity. Well, today, as we dive into God's word, we're going to see that these excuses that we make go far beyond that dusty treadmill that we have tucked away in the basement that's probably holding old clothes at this point in time. We bring them into every area of our life. This is what the book of Hebrews says. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So as we dive into the book of Hebrews this morning, we're going to see something. And I think before we see that important truth, we need to learn something and remember something that you've probably heard before, I've probably said before. We need to remember that these words were not written to us, but they were written for us. As we read into scripture, any book in the Bible, we need to understand that this book, these chapters, these 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 books, these letters, they were not written to us, but they were, were written for us. This is what I mean. When the original author, who's inspired by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit, to pen these words, we were not the target audience. It wasn't like the author of Hebrews was thinking, you know what, someday there's going to be an America, and there's going to be a Sterling, Illinois, and I'm going to write this book for them, this church, New Life Lutheran, in 2021. 
No, we were not the target audience, as is implied by the title, because what is the title? Hebrews, right? This author was writing this book to a group of Jews in the first century. And this is so important to understand, because if we do not know our history, a lot of the Bible would be very hard to comprehend. In fact, we can actually do something worse than that. If we assume that the Bible is written directly to us in the 21st century, we can actually do a lot of damage to what God is actually trying to teach us. So this is what we need to do this morning. As we want to comprehend these very important words, we need to travel back to about 50 AD and a little bit before 70 AD so we can understand what God is saying. Now, at this point in time, just to give you some context, Jesus has already died on the cross. He's raised himself from the grave. He's ascended into heaven. And the temple still exists. The Jewish temple still exists. And this is important to understand because this book is written to believers in Jesus Christ who were Jewish. And this is so significant because in this point in time, they would feel very much torn in two because they were followers of Christ, but they also had the old covenant and the Jewish ways and the temples and the sacrificial system that they were accustomed to. And they were kind of feeling torn into because after all, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He died on the cross for the sins. He came to life. He ascended to heaven. And he is the ultimate connection to God. This is what we believe as followers of Christ, don't we? However, as a first century Jew, you would have been raised in a time and much of your life would have been dedicated to the temple. In their mind, the ultimate connection in that moment to God. It was a picture of the Garden of Eden and it was a pathway back to the garden and that perfect relationship with God once again. And if you were a first century Jew, your whole life would be focused and, and rotate and revolve around this idea of the temple, of going to the temple, talking about the temple, visiting the temple, doing things like offering your sacrifices there to get connected with God. And you were taught all about the temple. And as you went into the temple, you learned very quickly that there were places in the temple that you could go and you couldn't go. As you entered into the temple, you would see that there was a place that anyone could go, including the Gentiles. As you went further in, there was a spot only for the Jews. If you made your way even further, but you couldn't, that was a place reserved only for the priests. And if you could sneak past all that, but you wouldn't because the penalty was death to go into different sections that didn't belong to you, there was one specific spot in the temple where only one special priest could go. This was called the Holy of Holies. And not only could only one special priest go there, the high priest, but they could only go there once a year. So naturally, there would be a lot of curiosity about what this special room would look like. You probably had conversations about it. You asked your parents about it. People would pass down the stories of the Holy of Holies, this place that you could never go. And when you'd hear those stories, you would hear something like this. There's this tiny windowless room, 15 square feet or so. And inside was the Ark of the Covenant. Tucked inside that was the Ten Commandments. There was some manna from the time the people escaped from Egypt. The Jews escaped from the slavery in Egypt. And also Aaron's rod was in there. His staff was in there. And so all these things were tucked into this room. And you would know a few of these things. 
In fact, you also knew that on the day of atonement, which was once a year, the high priest would enter into the special place. It was the only time when they would enter in. And they would go inside and they would burn some incense and they would sprinkle some blood for the sins of the people. Which meant, in your understanding in this time, if you wanted your sins to be forgiven, if you wanted to be right in your relationship with God, then you needed the temple and you needed the sacrifices and you needed the high priest. So with that in mind, if you were a first century Jew, imagine how uncomfortable these words are that we just read. Because what is it saying? It's saying that now Jesus Christ is everything you need, right? It's everything you need. It's everything that you need to trust in. All the old things that you've been taught, all the old ways that you've lived in, all those old things, well, they're now obsolete. And so the writer continues and says this, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. So as we make our way into this, once again, the writer takes the listeners' minds back to the temple and specifically the high priest, the same high priest who would sprinkle himself with blood, make his way into the Holy of Holies once a year, and then sprinkle the blood and burn the incense for the sins of the people. Then as you can imagine, if, if this person, right, if we still had this system, we had somebody that special and that significant, to know this person and to have a relationship with this person would be unbelievable, right? It would be like comparable to knowing the president of the United States, not just meeting the president, but knowing the president, like being able to text the president and call the president. This is what it would be like to know the high priest. But as believers, what we're taught here is that we do know the high priest because the high priest is Jesus Christ. He's the ultimate high priest. He is the one who came to the earth. He is the one who wanted to have a relationship with us. He, he died on the cross for our sins because he wanted to get to know you because he loves you. And so as he goes on, this writer goes on to explain what that relationship is like and how to get connected to this beautiful relationship. He says these words. He says, washed with pure water, which of course is an allusion to baptism, which is this amazing gift from God. This amazing gift from God where we are told and reminded of who we are and whose we are in Christ Jesus. Because as baptized believers, we are Christ's possession. The one who tore the curtain of the Holy Holies from top to bottom. The one who predicted the destruction of the temple and then it actually came true in 70 AD. This same person was choosing to be a part of your life. This Jesus wants to be a part of your life. So just imagine what this first century Jewish people were feeling when all these words were written, when all these things were taught, when everything they used to know was stripped away. You can see how emotionally challenging it would be. You can see how intellectually challenging this would be. Because after all, if Jesus is the ultimate high priest, well then, I don't need that person anymore. If Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, well then I don't need sacrifices anymore. And if Jesus does what he promises to do, which is to actually temple in our hearts, to live in our hearts, well then what do I need the temple for anymore? You see, this is true. 
But if we take it to its further conclusion, right, if we actually stop and think, okay, if, if this is true, they might come to this conclusion. Maybe you've kind of come to this conclusion. If this is true and all that stuff is unnecessary, then I guess all I need is Jesus and me. And this was a trap that some of these early Christians fell into almost immediately. This idea of Lone Ranger Christianity. I don't need the temple. I don't need the sacrifice. I don't need the priest. I don't need any of that. So I guess all I need is Jesus and me. And this has gone on throughout the centuries. Think back to the Reformation, this time when Martin Luther gave the Bible to the people, gave the word to the people, trusted the people with God's word. All these amazing things happened. People were getting the Bible in their own languages. They had copies of the Bible in their home. And when that happened, they probably thought, well, now, now I have the Bible, right? I don't need the church. I don't need the priests. I don't need the pastors. I have the Bible. I have Jesus in me, and I'm good. As we move into a new age, this technological age, we can fall into the same trap. I have my TV, I have my phone, I have my computer, I have Jesus, and so I don't need anything else. You see, if this is true, and it kind of is intellectually true, if this is true, we naturally will walk down a very dangerous path. Because what will we naturally think if it's just Jesus and me and this is all I need, well, then I don't need the church and I don't need the church family. And though this might seem intellectually true, this is what the Bible says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who is promised is faithful. You see right away the writer, as if they know that people will be thinking this way and thinking, okay, all I need is Jesus and me they counteract this philosophy and this idea. Because what do we see right away? It says, let us, and it says, our hope. These key words of us and our imply a gathering, right? They imply a community. And this makes sense because what is our hope in? Our hope is in the faithfulness of Christ's work on the cross. And what did Jesus teach? When he saw the law and prophets and needs asked that question, Right? What is the most important rule? What's the most important law? He boiled it down to two principles, two themes. Love God and love others. And he did this because our faith, our hope, our trust, our belief that connects us to God, it also connects us to one another. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. Because it's only God's truth that can take people from all different walks of life people who speak different languages, people who wear different clothes, people who have different musical preferences, people who have different skin colors, people of every different economic class and connect them together with the most important commonality that any of us can have, which is Jesus Christ and his truth that's given to us in his word. It's the only thing that can truly cut through the superficialness of many of these things that we hold so dear. So why does God want us to be connected, right? Why, why is this impressed upon us? Why does he not want us to be alone? Well, this is what scripture says. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds. So the question is, if we have Jesus Christ and he makes everything in the past obsolete, then why do we still need each other? And the answer here given to us in God's word is, we are expected to motivate each other. 
Think about that teacher. Think about that coach. Think about that spouse. Think about that friend, that brother or sister, that person who motivated you. That person, with, that person that without them, you would not be what you are today because they pushed you and pushed you and pushed you and encouraged you and motivated you so you could do the impossible. This is why we don't want a lone ranger faith either. Because it's pretty hard to get motivated by others when we aren't around others. You see, you can listen to all the podcasts in the world, watch all the TV preaching there is. You can read your Bible But there is something about this face-to-face, this person-to-person interaction, real conversations with real people that we can really touch, really shake their hands, really give a hug to. It's just completely different. You see, people in this space are able to check in with you and keep you accountable. This is what we offer here. This is what we're hoping for here. Because at our best, as followers of Christ. As people set free, we need each other. This is why God's word says this next. We are called to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. We're told in scripture to to gather together, to meet together. We're told and expected to be around each other. We're told and expected to connect with one another. We're told and expected to love each other. And obviously, as we read this, we see something interesting. Even at the beginning of the Christian faith and this movement, some people had already stopped meeting together. They were doing it alone. And this is shocking, isn't it? It's shocking to me that that people right away in the early movement of the faith, this very exciting time, would stop meeting together. I guess it's not intellectually shocking, Because I can understand why you might think, okay, all I need is Jesus and me, and so I don't need them. But at this point in time in the faith, it was new and exciting and growing. But some, right away, were missing church and the gatherings. And it wasn't just occasionally. Instead, it was a habit, right? It was not a part of their life, which means people would be more surprised to see them show up then they would be surprised if they missed, which is sad as a pastor, but it's also a little scary because not only are they missing out on the benefits of joining together as a family of faith, but they are walking a very dangerous path because the easiest way to walk away from Christ is to walk away from his people. Now, of course, this doesn't happen instantly, if you get sick or take a vacation or something happens like that, it's not going to instantly remove you from the family of faith or, or, or take it away from your regular rhythms. But when that week turns into the next week, into the next week, and the next month, and the next year, then we start getting down a dangerous path where it isn't a part of our regular rhythms. It's not a part of our habits. So if this happens to you, or if this is happening to somebody around you, this should show a major red flag, right? We should have some caution. We should have some worry. We should have some concern. Well, the author continues. But instead, encourage one another. Instead of walking away or getting out of the habit of being a part of the family of faith, your life group or your church gathering, we are called not to disconnect, but stay connected, to lean in to encourage one another in life, to encourage one another to show up, to encourage one another to stay connected, to check in with each other. 
to see how people are really doing, to pray for each other, to invite people to sit with you at church, to tell them that you are looking forward to seeing them next Sunday. But why is this so urgent? Well, this is what this author closes with. And all the more, as you see the day approaching. The truth is we are called to love God and love others by connecting with God and connecting with others. But often we don't, right? Often we miss. Maybe it's an intellectual thing. We think all we need is me and Jesus. Or maybe, maybe for you or sometime in your life, it hasn't been an intellectual thing. It's been just an urgency thing. You think to yourself, well, when I get old or when I get married or when I have kids, then I'll connect with Jesus and his people. Or when I'm sick, then I'll connect with Jesus and his people, but right now I'm having too much fun. Or when I'm in need, I'll connect with Jesus and his people. And, and maybe you will. Maybe that'll be your story. Maybe when you get older or you have kids, you will come in, you'll take your faith seriously, and you'll raise your kids in the faith. Or maybe when you get sick and you're concerned about your life, you, you'll come in and, and Jesus will work in your life. People will take care of you and, and God will heal you. Or maybe when that bill comes due and you've made some really bad financial decisions and you've kind of at your end of your wits, you'll, you'll lean in. People will guide you and walk with you through that difficulty. Maybe someone will provide for you and take care of you in that situation. Maybe that will happen, but I can't guarantee it. But there is one thing that I can guarantee is that Jesus is going to come back. And when that day happens, it will be a day of, of great celebration and a day of great mourning. For some, it will be a day of great mourning because in that moment, they will see Jesus, but it'll be too late. They've been slowly disconnecting, slowly disconnecting, slowly disconnecting. And when Jesus shows up, he'll say, who are you? Right, I never knew you. I don't know who you are. And they say, but you're my king. Like, I don't remember the last time I've been your king. Or maybe we won't be that disconnected. But he'll show up and we'll still feel that, that little bit of mourning. Not because we're not a part of his family, but because we'll realize in that moment how much we missed out on. We missed out gathering together. Or we missed out what we could have given to others if we were fully grafted in and we were fully connected. Or maybe, hopefully, it will be a day of celebration. And not just you and Jesus, but a celebration with you and your family upon his return. So today, we close out our series. It's been nine weeks. Nine weeks. Summer's going too fast. I don't know about you, but I feel like the winter lasted forever, and now the summer's been two seconds. But we've been having this conversation about unhealthy and health and, and God's plan for our lives for nine weeks. And we've talked about all sorts of things. We've talked about physical health. We've talked about emotional health. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about, we've talked about financial health, right? It, we've covered the whole gamut of health. And the reason we've done this is because God's word speaks about every area of our life. Because Jesus truly does care about every area of your life, no matter what it is. He cares about how you use your resources because he provided them for him. He wants to use them well. But the problem is, you're like me. And I have a lot of excuses a lot of reasons why I don't do things the healthy way, why I don't do things God's way. 
right? I have all sorts of excuses why in my basement, I have an elliptical machine that I bought at the beginning of COVID that I have been on twice. One, to try it out to see if it works, right? It's the same reason that I have a weight set that probably has too much dust on it. We all have these things, right? We all have a pair of workout shoes that we bought and truly this would be the moment if I got the right shoes, I will run that 5K. But instead we just take them to walk into the movie theater. We have all sorts of excuses not to do things God's way and the healthy way. And today we talked about one of the most important things that we can do as a believer, which is get connected to Jesus and to his people. Because it's in gatherings like this, it's in the weekly gathering, it's in our life group gatherings, it's when we see each other around the community that we actually get to take this truth and put it into practice. We get, get connected with Jesus Christ, become more Christ-like, and bring that moment into their lives. To take that Christ-likeness and bring it into lives and serve them. You see, as believers, when we are connected, we are healthier, we are better together. And when we are functioning every one of these areas, we will experience Christ's transformation. But here's the better part. Not only will we experience it, we can offer it to others and we can serve those around us.